Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Back in August, gymnastics superstar Simone Biles returned to major competition after a two-year hiatus. She's been open about needing the time off to focus on her mental well-being. I worked on myself a lot. I still do therapy weekly, um, and it's just been so exciting to come out here and have the confidence I had before. At the 2023 U.S. Gymnastics Championship, Simone won her eighth all-around title. She broke the record for most career titles that was set back in 1933. This is Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. The fall sports season has begun, and for some families, this will be their child's first experience in competition. For others, their student-athletes will continue competing in high school or college sports. As the competition level increases, the performance, academic, and even social expectations can impact an athlete's physical and mental health. Joining me now to talk about the role that mental health plays for student-athletes is Dr. Ralph Dodd. He's a clinical psychologist based in West Hartford, and he works with college athletes. Dr. Dodd, welcome to Disrupted. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with your background, because I want listeners to understand how you come to this work. You started your career as a clinical child psychologist. You have background experience as an athlete yourself. What prompted the shift into sports psychology? The shift really came about because um, sports psychology and sports is something that I've always been pretty passionate about. I enjoy it. I engage in it and so forth. And as I've gotten um, a little bit more advanced in my career professionally, um, you move a little bit away from the clinical stuff and you do more administrative stuff. So in order to meet that need and keep my clinical skills up, I figured I would, you know, kind of tap into something that I was passionate about and that's sports. So that's where I started picking up uh, more clinical work with that. So as I said, you have this background as an athlete. You mentioned that sports have always been a part of your life. What are some of the positive aspects of that, of competing in sports, of being a part of that is really a cultural phenomenon? What do you see as the positive aspects for young people? Yeah, I I think the the biggest positive aspect of it is socialization, right? You learn how to um, develop friendships, to um, behave in appropriate ways, appropriate manner. You learn um, respect for others. Um, and in return, you also receive respect, right? And that, I think, is very fulfilling. I think that uh, sports also allows um, what I would call connection. You feel like you belong somewhere, um, you know, because things aren't always so so smooth out there in the world. But when you're part of a team, at least that's something that you can turn to and, you know, it helps sometimes drive and motivate people. As a parent, one of the things that I was really concerned about during the height of the pandemic and the lockdown was the lack of organized sports for young people, the inability to come together on a field or on a court and exercise all those positive aspects in addition to the physical health aspect, that idea of community and coming together, that isolation that can really have a detrimental impact on young people. 
And at the same time, Dr. Dodd, if I'm honest, what I didn't miss was going to games and hearing parents yelling at not just their kids, but other kids yelling at refs. What do you see as the negative aspects or the challenges for youth sports? Uh, to answer that question, I'll answer it in two ways because you touched on something that's important as far as the parents' role um, in, in sports and their child's participation and so forth in that the parents' role can sometimes be a positive, right? But in other situations, it could be a negative and not always a negative directly for their child because sometimes the child um, learns that, hey, this is how we do things and how we you know, view sports in the household. But the other children that may not be exposed to that kind of stuff or children that might be a little bit more sensitive or fragile as far as when they're not succeeding and not excelling, that that can actually have a very negative impact on them and their development. I do think it's up to the coaches to kind of set the standards and expectations around some of those things. Now, the other part of your question, which is some of the other negative aspects of of the sports sometimes can be um, when you're not thriving, right? And the, re the rewards and the punishments that we inadvertently do as coaches, right? And we're highlighting, you know, Johnny had a really great game, awesome look at that. But then there's a, the counter person that didn't maybe have a great game or didn't get into the game. And, you know, how do we allow them to flourish when they're not necessarily shining? And I think that's where some of the negatives um, start to arise. And you notice that students and children um, and athletes will start saying, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Right. And, you know, if we were to break that down a little bit further, we would see the point in which that started to take shape. I've always believed that an important part of childhood was learning how to fail, learning mm -hmm. to rebound from that and to understand things don't always go your way. But for some athletes, the pressure can be so extreme that it gets internalized and can have an, an impact on other parts of their lives. Talk to us about sports psychology today, because it wasn't, as I understand it, in the origins, it wasn't really about mental health and mental well-being. It was more of a connection to physical performance. Why did that shift happen? And how do you see it as an important part of how we think about athletic development today? Yeah, so um, very good question, by the way. And, you know, I think to um, answer that best, I'd say initially, you know, sports psychology was for those individuals that were really good athletes, um, but they were hitting, a, a, I would call it like a dead spot, like they couldn't push through. And, you know, the sports psychologists would come in and figure out, well, what's going on here, right? And how do we get you to have the peak performance? And that's the primary focus. What they didn't say at the time is that while I was having individual sessions with you focusing on peak performance, I realized that, oh, maybe there's some anxiety that's really rising to the surface. Maybe there's some, you know, depression, low self sense of self. Right. And then uh, I would say, you know, a few years back and maybe five plus years or so ago, there started to be more of a, an acceptance that, hey, at the end of the day, everyone is a human and humans have mental health issues. Right. So you take these high end performers and athletes, um, the mental health stuff doesn't disappear. Right. Because it's all about percentages in the, in the collective society and the acceptance that mental health might exist in athletes is what allowed for there to be a little bit of a shift in sports psychology. And you'll hear a lot of people talking now about the mentals, right? You know, I have to get my mentals straight. And I, a lot of that has to do with, yes, not just the peak performance stuff, but the other components in my life, such as my relationships. My relationships might not be going well, such as my sense of self, such as maybe I'm feeling a little bit depressed because life is happening. And 
I think what the sports psychologists started to realize is that when we focused in on, you know, um, improving those aspects of the individual, the peak performance occurs. We're talking about athletes at every stage, not just the elite professional athletes, Correct. but kids in middle school, high school, all the way through. And as I'm listening to you, I think, you know, we look at athletes as performing these superhuman feats. And sometimes we forget that they are people, that they are human yeah. beings who experience life and all of its ups and downs the way that the rest of us do. And yet we expect them to perform differently. What I also am aware of is that we are now hearing more high profile athletes being very honest about their mental well-being and helping to erase that stigma and shame, particularly for athletes of color. I think particularly for male athletes of color to step forward and say, I'm not okay. And I won't apologize for that. How should we be uplifting that so that there is no shame or stigma in saying I need help or I'm not okay. And that becomes a message, not just for athletes, but really for all of us. Yeah. So, you know, I would say the starting point um, really goes back to a word you mentioned earlier about parents, right? And parents, families, relatives, and so forth. And I could be honest, being African-American and, you know, African-American culture, there's the, you know, you're going to push through, tough it out, you know, no problems that exist, nothing's too great, and so on and so forth. And that perpetuates the idea and the mindset that, you know, you can't complain about your mentals, right? And so I think having parents and working with you know, family members to come to grips that we're all human and, you know, mental health is a part of being human, especially in African-American culture and accepting that, I think will start to shift the culture and shift generations to say, yes, you're a student athlete or yes, you're an athlete, but we also have to take care of the other components of your complete self. You know, one of the themes in our household is we believe in God and therapist. And that idea that, again, there is no weakness in saying I can't figure it out and I need a different source to do that. Dr. Dodd, you mentioned earlier in our convo coaches. What is the role of coaches of being aware when their players are struggling, of realizing there are limits that isn't just about grit and pushing through, but how coaches can really set a standard for that wellness that all athletes need and deserve aside from putting wins on the board. Yeah. And, you know, if I was being completely honest, I think that latter part of what you shared is what separates like a good coach from a great coach. Right. And a great coach is able to kind of hone in on their individuals, not just the team and not just the performance and see where um, their weaknesses or shortcomings lie. And when I use that word deliberately, as far as weaknesses, not weakness as a team and how we're going to function, but are there individuals that are struggling all right, that is, and their struggle is what's impacting their performance and being able to hone in on that and then add the supports in there. I've worked with a a few athletes and some of the, you know, um, some of them have good coaches and their coaches, what I say have good coaches is that their coaches will recognize that they need, you know, time off to go to a therapy session, right? Their coaches will recognize that they are struggling a little bit emotionally and and lean off of them instead of leaning into them and say, okay, how can we help you push through? Who can we bring in to help you get over the hurdle um, there? And then also, what do you need in order to thrive? And that's an important phrase there, right? What do you need in order to thrive? Because we often think that we know what someone else needs in order to thrive when coming to their, um, talking about mental health and mental health issues. And the reality is that we don't. 
right? And that's where you have to develop that relationship, coach and athlete, to be honest, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, right? And the coach to be very precious of that vulnerability and take care of it and nurture it, right? Instead of exposing it, instead of making someone feel shame around it. And I think that's their job. That is such a powerful question. What do you need to thrive? And what does it mean to thrive? Because that is such an individual decision. There may be parents or family members or caregivers listening who say, look, my kid is involved in sports. I want them to do well, but I want to support them. What are one or two tips that you would say to parents or to families about things that they should look out for or ways that they can support their children in sports? So I I think the first way that they can support their child, and this is any parent and honestly, any person that interacts with a a student athlete um, is really asking the question, what are their goals, right? Like you're participating in this sport. Like, what do you hope for yourself? Right. Um, Do you enjoy it? Why do you enjoy it? Like really having an understanding of what the sport means to the child greater than their understanding of what the sport means to them. Right. And you you see it a lot of times when you go to some of the games for your children and, and so forth. And there's those parents that are more driven because it's a personal victory for them as opposed to a victory for their child or a victory for the team. And so I think asking that question and having an understanding establishes a baseline of how hard I might even be pushing my child. Right. It, it answers the question about what my child going back to might need in order to thrive. Sometimes it's the extra push and motivation to, hey, let's get out there. Um, and other times it's I'm going to let my child go at, at his or her own pace. But to get back to your true question, which is what are some of the things that we might also notice? I call it uh, taking a look at like intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Right. If the child is like motivated to exercise, get up, you know, eat healthy, you know, get his schoolwork done, all those components of being a student athlete and they're doing it on their own free will. All right. And then you start noticing a shift in that. Right. And now I'm the one saying, hey, we got to stay on top of this. Hey, did you pack your bags? We got to get to practice. Hey, did you do this? And that's shifting from intrinsic motivation to extrinsic motivation, where now the child is doing it because I've asked them to. Right. And that's why I would take a little bit of a pause and say, what's going on here? Right. Is is my child or is the student athlete really enjoying what they were doing? Right. And if not, why? And I think that's one of the key symptoms that we, you know, kind of need to pay closer attention to. Um, And then also body language. I always, you know, when I go watch sporting events and, you know, I watch the body language of them while they're sitting out on the, you know, maybe on the bench, let's say if it was basketball, right? Like what's their body language telling me? And that lets me know, hey, I might need to, you know, lean into my um, student athlete and ask the extra questions. What you're saying to us sounds so simple. Have the conversation, create a space for openness and conversation. I want to bring us full circle as we come to the close of our conversation. What do you say to student athletes who may be struggling, who may be unsure, who are saying, yes, this resonates with me, but I don't know what to do or I don't know what to say? What's your message to young people? The first part really for me is the acknowledgement and stating that like challenges are going to occur. Right. And what I say to my um, athlete a lot of times is you need to be real and we need to be honest with where we're at, right? And you need to trust that you sharing this information, whether it's with me, your coach, your parents, that we have to then do the right thing for you, right? 
um, when I when I see my athletes struggling, the other thing I also say to them is, you're human, right? Like people struggle, right? You can't put expectations on yourself that is greater than perfect, right? Like, and 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 what I mean by that is we sometimes set these standards and we're chasing perfection that we're never going to get to, right? And I think a lot of student athletes, especially as they begin to climb, early on, they're really, really good. Some might call them great and they continue to be great, but then it starts to level off because the competition gets stronger, right? And it's when those situations occur that the individual starts to question, right? And question the perfection piece of it and how great am I, right? And those are where, those are the opportunities to have the real conversations about you are human and humans struggle. You are human and humans struggle. And we thank you for the work that you're doing to help people through those struggles. Dr. Ralph Dodd is a clinical psychologist working with athletes and mental health. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Coming up, Tess Atkinson shares her experience with the stress of athletics. And we'll hear from Bella Nato. She's a college senior playing softball who started a nonprofit called Let's Get Real about athlete mental health. Very early on, when I would try to speak up, it was being told, you're being dramatic. And that was really difficult, especially for a young person to hear who's trying to advocate for themselves and their needs and their feelings. You're listening to Disrupted. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, or the NCAA, has been conducting student-athlete well-being surveys. The most recent survey back in 2022 found that students are still reporting mental health concerns. Things like mental exhaustion, anxiety, and depression are at rates higher than pre-pandemic levels. Tess Atkinson played soccer at Central Connecticut State University. The constant stress of being a student athlete led to mental health challenges for Tess. And it wasn't until she reached an all-time low that she sought help. Here's Tess Atkinson talking about her experience. I started to struggle with things when I was about a freshman or sophomore year in college. I had kind of 
um, taken too much on at the time being. Um, so I was in a point in my career where I like wanted to get all these college credits done. I wanted to like graduate as soon as possible. Um, and what I ended up doing was like overloading my credits. Um, and I just ended up burning myself out. And that's when I started to really feel what constant persistent stress was like. My days were completely filled. So I'd wake up in the morning, anywhere between like six to 8 a.m., go to class or lift, um, then class for the whole day, and then practice and then studying. And I didn't really have any time to take care of myself. So I started to have constant panic attacks. My heart would start beating really fast. I found it really hard to breathe. I started to feel like I was going to throw up and my skin felt like it was on fire. There was one where I had in front of my soccer coaches and um, they were able to like calm me down in the moment. Um, but at the time it was probably, it was really just like giving me like in the moment, like attention. And um, then I kind of like went back to practice and went back to my normal routine. And that was constant. I started going to therapy and I went through about like four therapists until I found one that I actually clicked with and she actually made me feel a lot better. And I got to a point where I like felt better and was like, okay, like I don't need to do this anymore. And after not going to therapy for about a year or so, um, I experienced a lot of depression. So I would lay in bed for hours on end, days on end. I didn't need to get out of bed to go to class. I just lay in my bed and like sleep basically. And I would not get out of that bed and I couldn't get out of that habit. Like it was just, it had become something comfortable for me, like routine. So it got to a point where I reached an all time low. Um, and I finally kind of pushed myself to go back to talk therapy again. Um, and things are better now. I kind of like came to realize that you can't stop taking care of yourself. Thank you to Tess Atkinson, a graduate of CCSU. Stories like Tess's are what prompted our next guest, Bella Nato, to take action. She's a softball player in her senior year at UMass Boston, and she created a nonprofit called Let's Get Real about athlete mental health. Bella, welcome to Disrupted. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I'm super excited. I'm glad you're excited because I'm excited to talk to you. The fact that you're a senior in college, you're a student athlete, you play softball, and you also made space to create this nonprofit to really address things that are of importance to you. Before we talk about the important work of your nonprofit, let's talk a little bit about you. You know, how you came into athletics as being an important part of what you do and how it helped you to really work through some of your own journeys and challenges. Yeah, so my journey with mental health and softball are actually really interrelated. I actually started experiencing some pretty severe social anxiety as young as 11 or 12 years old. Um, and I actually started playing softball around the same time. I had played sports recreationally before that, but softball really was my entryway into competitive sports. Um, and I really just dove right in. And because of the things that were going on in my life, I was dealing with some anxiety and depression at a really young age. And that's really hard to navigate. 
uh, as somebody who's that young. And I was very lucky to have support from my family, but I definitely was using softball as an outlet. And I have, I had used it as my getaway from all of the stresses of my everyday life. It became a huge part of my identity. I want to talk about that connection because so often we hear from athletes, particularly from younger athletes, but really all athletes, that the sport that they love, the sport that they play or that they excel in becomes a central part of their identity, how they see themselves, how others see them. And even when there's a disconnect between, you know, I'm Bella the person versus how people see you as Bella the softball player or Bella the athlete that when there is that gap or that disruption, it can also create new pressures and challenges. Did you experience that? Or were you able to say, look, I'm Bella, not just Bella, the athlete? Yeah, so I did experience that. And I actually am able to shed light on two different experiences that I think exist and contrast one another on my mental health journey. The first is that when I was a sophomore in high school, I actually had a season ending injury. I tore my labrum and my rotator cuff. Actually, the surgery was when I was a sophomore, but the injury occurred when I was a freshman in high school. I, through that recovery, had a bit of an identity crisis because I was recovering, but I wasn't able to really rely on softball. And I was struggling with how I was going to deal with the things that were happening mentally and not being able to use that as an outlet because I had relied so heavily on it for so long. And because of the severity of my injury and the extent that they had to go to to repair um, my shoulder, I actually was told by my doctor that I would never be able to get back to proper throwing mechanics. So I likely would not be able to play softball anymore if I was going to continue throwing right-handed. So I quit actually for a period of about six months. And so it really forced me to get to know myself a little bit more and create an identity for myself that existed outside of my sport. And it was really, really difficult. I, that was one of the darkest times I've ever gone through in my life on my mental health journey. But I compare that actually to about eight months ago, I got another season ending injury on my left shoulder and was not able to play for my entire junior season of softball. And I handled it with grace. I had built up the tools. I was comfortable with myself to know, okay, yeah, I can't play softball right now, but I'm also a student that can lean into that. I am a great teammate. You know, I still have the capacity to be a teammate and to be a part of a community. I'm going to lean into that. Being very in touch with my personality traits that are a part of me. They're not a part of me just on the field. They're a part of me every day. Um, and I like to look at those two experiences and compare them because this time around, I actually was able to handle it much better. And it was a much smoother recovery. And I'm glad to say that I will be able to play for my senior year. So that's exciting. I want to point out a couple of things because you have mentioned multiple times, multiple experiences. You've mentioned this kind of self-reflection of who am I, what matters to me, not what I do, but who I am and how I contribute. And you've been open about your mental health journey. I have to say, Bella, I'm so impressed 
because there are people who are 50, 60, 70 years old still trying to figure out what does it mean to say I'm not okay and that's okay to be able to articulate, look, I need help here. I'm trying to figure this out to also allow yourself to go through a challenge but to also think about how that prepares you for the next one. Most people can't do that. And not only can most people not do it, many athletes are afraid that if I say something, will I jeopardize my place on the team? Or will I jeopardize the standing of my teammates? Will I not be tough enough? And how will people judge that? And I wonder in particular, Bella, for young people, but also young women, who are experiencing this and all of the other social challenges of what it means to compete at this level. How do you or how did you navigate that kind of distinction of I deserve to be well and to say when I don't feel like I am, but maybe there's some fear of if I say something, how will others respond? Was that ever an issue for you? Yeah, I there's a lot of things that I feel like I can touch on based on what you just said. A statistic that came out just recently in September is that 30% of college student athletes actually are receiving care for mental health needs, but only 10% are seeking out that care. Specifically on my journey being a female athlete, very early on when I would try to speak up, it was being told, you're being dramatic. And that was really difficult, especially for a young person to hear who's trying to advocate for themselves and their needs and their feelings. You're being told that maybe they don't matter as much as it, as it feels like they matter to you. And they, they weigh so heavily on you, but you're being told that they aren't supposed to. It's very difficult. And then you add being an athlete into that and being a female athlete. And we're already behind the eight ball as being considered to be not as high of a level as male athletes. So you feel this additional pressure to persevere and appear strong and everybody faces the stigma of mental health. But when you start adding these different aspects in, there's additional pressures on you. There's additional stigmas that you face and it's so difficult. But I think that especially doing the work through the nonprofit, our main mission is to amplify these stories and amplify these voices and let people know that it is okay. How can we give these people a platform? Um, and that's why sharing these stories and including things like identity and additional pressures and stigmas that you might face, whether you're a female athlete, male athlete, athlete of color, um, it's really, it, it provides context that I feel like is needed. Let's jump in to talk about the nonprofit, right? Because what you've shared is your own experience, but you've also shared what it means to be in conversation with other athletes. And I want to be clear that you've created this platform that's connecting not just collegiate athletes, but also younger people as well. So there's sort of a a built-in sense of peer interaction, of peer-based mentoring that all of the studies show that peers can help produce a healthier, more positive culture and orientation that not just shapes behavior, but helps people not feel like they're alone or they're the only one who's experiencing this. Talk to us about the mission of the organization and how you're helping athletes tell their stories, share their stories, and be in community with one another. The mission of the organization, it's by athletes for everyone. And basically what our mission actually is, is that we are creating a platform for athletes to tell their stories about their experiences with mental health, 
so that everyone can see that it's okay to not talk about them. But what's really also happening, as you mentioned, is that people are coming together. And when people are sharing their stories through my nonprofit, through other organizations, it's creating a community of athletes. And we can lean on each other. We can talk to each other, ask each other for advice, take comfort in the fact that the things that we're going through are not, we are not isolated. And you might feel isolated in your experience, but actually there are so many other people out there that you can talk to. And I say for everyone, but I want to definitely say, especially for young people, because we do a lot of work with collegiate athletes, but we also work with high school athletes. And I want to actually shed light on the fact that when I first started this organization back in 2021, I was a freshman in college and my partner's little sister was a freshman in high school and she helped me start this stuff because of her experiences playing volleyball and her experiences with mental health. So even though we're creating a community of athletes and we are able to talk to one another, lean on each other, we talk to each other all the time. It's also just to spread the general message to everyone that it's okay to talk about these things and it is okay to not be okay. And the more that we normalize talking about them, the better it will be for everybody. What would your message be to, to high schools, to colleges, to universities, to, to families and caregivers about how we can work to better support student athletes along their mental health journey, but also opening the space as you have to bring people together? A message that I would give to any, any athlete or any person who is struggling with mental health, but especially young people, because I feel like it needs to be instituted at a very young age, is that you can advocate for yourself. And if you feel like you are in a space where you can't advocate for yourself, go to somebody, talk to someone, open up the space, make it a safe space. That's what I did. And I would empower a young person that if they feel like they are not in a safe space, that will harbor their mental needs and lift them up to take the steps necessary to create that space. We're so grateful that you are able to create spaces for other people and that you are so committed to this mission. It is inspiring. It is encouraging. And it is convicting for all of us to think about what we can do. Bella Nato is a senior student athlete at UMass Boston. She's a softball player. She's also founder of the nonprofit Let's Get Real about athlete mental health. Bella, best to you with everything that you're doing. We're grateful you're here. Thank you for giving me this platform. When we return, former college basketball player and now CEO Ivan Chachuo talks about a mobile app that he helped create. It evaluates and provides mental wellness for student athletes. This is Disrupted. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Collegiate student athletes face lots of pressures from navigating practice, conditioning, and competition. Often their days are spent traveling to games and there's always pressure to perform. On top of all of that, they carry a full academic load. 
All of this adds up to a demanding environment that can affect a student athlete's mental well-being. Athletic departments may offer mental health resources for students, but it depends on the school's size and resources. For student athletes without access to these services, technology may be an option. Joining me now is Ivan Chachuo. He's co-founder and CEO of The Zone. It's a mobile application that evaluates and provides mental wellness support for student athletes. Ivan, welcome to Disrupted. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Before we talk about the app and the work that you're doing to support athletes on their mental health and mental wellness journey, I want our listeners to get a sense of you as a person and your background. You came to the U.S. from Cameroon at a very young age and you moved to New York. Talk to us about that experience, that transition, and how you developed your love of sport while growing up. Um, I grew up an athlete. Uh, you know, growing up in Cameroon, soccer is what unite, unites uh, the community, you know, so I grew up playing soccer at a very, very young age. You know, if you know what, what back home is like, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of people together. Everything we do is in unison to all the kids, no matter what age, after school, or whether you're you're three or you're 15, you know, we just are in this the 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 playground and playing soccer together um, and then walk home together, long walk. So I, that's how I grew up. And then when I moved to New York, um, there was no soccer fields. So the way that I kind of learned the English language was I was French speaking, you know, was through basketball and gym class. Luckily for me, I became pretty good at it around 10, 11 years old and then played it um, up until high school. I played high school basketball at Ohio's high school. And then I played division two basketball at Concordia College. I was a captain my sophomore year. And my junior year is when I faced a horrific injury that, uh, you know, kind of took me down my own mental health belt. Uh, I want to mention, you seem very humble about that, right? You said you were pretty good at it. And then you go on to talk about playing in college, becoming a captain, and really leading your team. But what you mentioned right at the end, Ivan, that injury and how that injury became a part of this journey you know, what was it about the injury? Because it sounds that it wasn't just the physical injury. It really had an impact on these other parts of your life at the time. At that, up until that moment, I was still that African kid trying to fit into the American society, right? And basketball was the thing that allowed me to make friends. I was one of the cool kids, right? And when I got hurt, I felt like my identity got stripped. And I was trying to, within myself, I don't think the outside world kind of portrayed it, but I portrayed it to myself and I just felt lost, you know, and I just was like, what am I, you know, reaching for? You know, I, this was a cool thing to reach for. This is what everybody championed me for. No, you know, nobody besides my parents championed me for school. And I was doing pretty well academically. I was a pre-med major, you know, so it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything in class. I was, you know, studying pretty hard after practices and before practices. So, you know, when I got taken away, I felt like the whole world shattered and I stopped going to classes. Um, I got dropped off the pre-med program into biology. You know, it was uh, about of me waking up more some mornings and just starting to to take drink and, and take a substance to kind of just get me through the day. Um, you know, it just wasn't there, you know, and it took about three months for my coaching staff to really understand and know like something was up. And that's, you know, I grew up in a household where African dad, I was a first generation kid here, African dad, there's no mental health conversations. You know, I remember when he first found out, he took me to get a CAT scan and, and was just like, you can't see anything. You know what I mean? So 
for me, it was just a tough, tough time as a 20, uh, I want to say 20, 21 year old trying to navigate and figure it out and, 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 you know, on my own and not having the thing that I love and watching my friends enjoy the experience. And, you know, just, it was just a time. And when I got to get an appointment with the mental health professional, Dr. Diaz, it, it helped open my eyes. You know, I think he helped me realize what behavioral health was, a conversation, draw links into you know, what I was going through and, and, and just teach me the coping skills to help me navigate these things, right? So um, that was kind of the big, the big draw um, and the step for me to kind of get educated into this thing that I was navigating that I had no idea what it was until, you know, my coaching staff approached me and said, you need to go see somebody. Let's talk about the Zone app. What was the inspiration for developing this particular app? And how did it help you as you were continuing on your own journey? Um, I have two co-founders, Eric and Janaya. Janaya I've known for a long time. Eric was an athlete that I met on campus and he was a baseball player and, you know, and he was struggling on performance anxiety side. So initially, you know, I started the zone as a, a, a events wellness platform, you know, not even a platform, just an events wellness for youth athletes to kind of navigate their own every different things on a, on a well-being side, whether it's basketball, nutrition, and I will merge your inner city and, and, and suburban kids into one area to kind of just let them go through this experience alone, right? But getting into like the big picture was I, I uh, ended up getting my master's at Columbia, one of the professors there in the executive MBA courses called Launch Your Startup. He kind of just was like, hey, listen, events doesn't make any money. And I was like, you know, how do you build a tech company? And he just kind of showed me throughout that whole class, that whole year of classes. And we kind of talked about the big picture of nobody has navigated and focused on student athletes and building a mental performance, mental performance platform for, you know, athletic organizations as a whole. Right. Um, there was no system. Um, they they utilized the in-school counseling centers for when I first started as in partnership. And there was only like one, two counselors for the entire school. So, you know, there was nobody very proficient in what athletes go through. Um, so that was um, our, our our thought process is build a successful uh, mission. And you galvanize people around this mission to drive actual impact for the ecosystem, not just for the student athletes before the organization as a whole. I wanna go granular here and imagine that I'm a student athlete and I heard about this app, whether through my institution, through a broader conference or from another person. How do I use this app? Like, how does it help me in my day-to-day -to, -day to manage the kind of things that you've mentioned to build a wellness routine or be connected to resources? How do I use it? Yeah, so I'm gonna paint a picture, right? You know, so just imagine you're, um, a younger student athlete, you were born uh, in the Bronx, for instance, right? You go to a PWI, you go to Marquette University, um, you play volleyball, um, you know, you're from a single parent household, you are the eldest child, um, and you don't have mental health literacy, right? Let's just give that picture, right? So now how does the zone be able to kind of help you is number one, um, you will be given this tool and introduced to it at the app. Each school has an athletic orientation. 
where they introduce the different systems that they work with, right? So we're part of the support system that the school introduced after they buys it to the students to kind of download and have a part of it. It's just like the academic systems they use, right? This is just a mental health system um, for you, right? Um, so that's the first thing. The next thing is throughout the experience, what it does is it provides you um, behavioral health check-ins on yourself, but then also finds different integrations with um, your different your sleep, weather and all these things and it's able to make insights inferable insights on okay based off of you know your sleep and your mood there's a correlation that when you sleep less you know you have your higher stress and you're more anxious right so we want to kind of make you aware of that right and we kind of point into the different reasons why you may be aware um anxious or not sleeping well because you also have self-reported and told us the deeper reasons why you're stressed so now you have that information you're like huh you know i didn't know that me transitioning into a pwi and, and you know I'm, i don't have no social setting yet and it's, i'm having a hard time transitioning into college and now it's impacting my academic and early play um at school which can hurt my playing time right so I want to fix this. What do I do? Um, but I don't want, I'm not ready to talk yet. So now what we do is we take you through different, we give you tips, but then we also give you clinical driven um, interventions that we basically get bite-sized wellness content from clinicians to kind of guide you on, you know, how do you navigate this transition into, you know, this university? And, and, and it's kind of just three to five minute clips of videos that may be consistent until it gets you through that moment, right? So that's one way. The second way is we help you build a daily wellness routine around these things that you're navigating, right? So it may be three, it's three steps. It may be an affirmation on, you know, how do you affirm yourself through this process? And maybe, like I said, another piece of content that's important for you. And it may be an ability for you to kind of just check in be beginning of the end of the day to see, have you gotten better through this system, right? Maybe let's just say after two weeks, man, I'm still you're still struggling with this and, and that we've built the machine learning algorithm in the back end to kind of help you identify that. You're like, all right, I need to potentially go talk to somebody, but I don't know how to type it out. I don't know what to say. We make the process easy. We know what you've been going through. We're like, hey, you get to click these three buttons and I'm really going through this. And then it takes you to the next screen where you just click the staff member. Right. And and you're already prompted to say, hey, we've seen that you've been going through this for two weeks. Are you ready to talk to somebody? You may say yes. Once you click that, you click the staff member. Everything is now pre-populated for you to kind of reach out to that staff member. And now they get this information and say, hey, Ivan's really going through this and he needs this appointment right now. And they get to triage. And yeah, I throughout that process, we like to say we close the loop you know, end to end where identifying all the way to kind of getting that appointment. After you get that appointment, there's still care that you need to go through. We already, we've embedded a system for the staff to be able to share materials with you and say, hey, you know, thank you for coming in. Based off of our conversation, these are the things that you can do to continue that process until we meet again. And then you have different information in the app to kind of support that too. So it's integrated with the school wellness system, but then, you know, we also support it in the system. So it's an end-to-end -end cycle to be able to help you um, navigate that. As we close our conversation, my question is simply, what's your message to a student athlete who may be struggling or may feel alone and needs to overcome that hurdle of connecting with the app? What's your message to athletes? The message for me is pretty clear. You know, I like to talk to athletes in their language that they understand. And the language is, you know, when we as athletes go into that huddle, we put our hands in that huddle 
and we yell whatever the coach says or the captain says, we really believe it, right? But you really aren't, you're being selfish and you really aren't signifying to that message because you're not filling your own cup, right? If you don't take care of your own mental well-being, everything you do on that court for the sport doesn't really matter because you're starting off empty. And when you're starting off empty, you're now actually holding everything back, right? You're not giving your best self. So to be able to give your best self to what you love, you got to be able to give your best self to yourself. You want to score 15 points a game. You want to take, you know, your family out this tough environment because you want to go pro or you want to keep your scholarship. Well, it all starts with you making sure you're good. And the way you do that is by being honest with yourself and going through a process and giving time to your, you know, mental fitness um, and being able to address that for yourself. Right. And by you starting and being open to it, your teammates will. And when your teammates do, and everybody does, well, everybody's in a place where that, that cup is more filled for you guys to be able to be optimal to give your best in so many different areas of your life. Right. So um, that's really, really the message. You know, fill your cup. And filling your cup isn't just athletically, it's personally, it's emotionally, it's mentally, it's spiritually. So, you know, the mental piece is just as critical and as important as anything else. Oh, we appreciate the work that you're doing to help people fill their cups, but to also know that they have worth and that they should do that. Ivan Chatruo is co-founder and CEO of The Zone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. We'll have links to Ivan Chatruo's mobile app, The Zone, and Bella Nato's nonprofit, Let's Get Real About Athlete Mental Health, on our website. It's ctpublic.org slash disrupted. If you or someone you know is struggling, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has a national helpline. It's 1-800-622-HELP. That's 1-800-622-4357. Disrupted is produced by Kevin Chang Barnum, Wayne Edwards, Meg Dalton, and Katie Tularski. You can listen to all the previous episodes of Disrupted by finding us wherever you get your podcast. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Wishing all of you abundant health and wellness. Thanks for listening.